Real Finance with J-Dub is sponsored by Little Woods Capital Advisors, LLC. Little Woods, humble beginnings, big results. Hello and welcome back, boys and girls. This is the Real Finance with J-Dub podcast. I am your host, Jeff Williams, CEO and founder of Little Woods Capital Advisors. And uh, today we continue with the next installment of our series, Finance for People Who Hate Finance. And uh, if you don't already, you probably will after today. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And with me, as always, is my uh, tag team partner, Shauna Monahan. Hello. Licensed professional counselor who specializes in sex therapy. Woohoo. How are you, darling? Fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. You know, I was, when I was doing prep for this, and today's episode is demystifying crypto, yeah. sort of. Yeah, I thought about you because I was like, I'm engaged Shauna's reaction. Because <laughs> the first time I mentioned the subject, she gave me this look like I was an alien disembarking a spaceship. Oh, so, what? <laughs> You're going to what? Yes. Yeah, no, no, no. Super excited, though. Yeah, so by, so by the end of the show, uh-huh. I'm going to see if, we, if we've made a dent. See where we're at. Yeah. I, from from everything that I'm figuring out so far, it's super exciting to me because it's just a completely novel way of thinking about money and finance and really, really kind of gives a unique perspective into what we may expect in the future. So I'm excited. Yeah. 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 And definitely future, future thinking. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Yes. And, that's and, that a good, it, and who is that speaking? Yeah. yeah and that's, that's, that's a good segue. <laughs> <laughs> we brought in some help, uh, that, uh, that help coming in the form of my friend, Tom Thomason, Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Jeff. And thank you for thank yeah. you for making time for us. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I know you have a crazy traveling schedule. I do. I'm a full time nomadic traveler. Yeah, and as someone who oh, know, wow. as someone who knows what it's like to try and change the world, um, you know, I know things can get really busy. So, <laughs> yeah, it's all of our jobs, right? <laughs> Try to make things a little bit better, one step at a time. Sure. And uh, just so our listeners know, uh, and we, I know we talked about this. I wanted to emphasize that. Uh, while Tom isn't, you know, a cryptocurrency expert per se, um, he is, uh, I guess I'd say you're a management consultant and entrepreneur who uh, is trying to help businesses in a way that's pretty revolutionary. You basically want to make management less managerial. Is that fair? I want to kill management. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Absolutely, completely replace it. That's, <laughs> that's yes. what, like 80% of every company? All of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, for the last 10 years, I've been working to replace management hierarchy as a power system mm. and replace it with something else. So, yeah. So not sure. just pure anarchy. No. Okay. Right. So that we need some structure. Yeah. We need a way of coordinating our effort to get work done, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so we've been used to power hierarchies, management hierarchies, having bosses, progressive bosses, sure. heroic bosses, right? And then bosses we hate mm-hmm. <laughs> and bosses we despise. Sure. And we've been playing that game for a very long time and getting similar dismal results. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of organizations have been experimenting with alternatives to that. And this is kind of broken open into a new genre of self-organization. Nice. How do organizations structure themselves, make decisions, and get work done without management hierarchy? So, yeah, I want to get rid of management hierarchy all over the world and replace it with something else. That's great. I have people all the time come through and they complain about work. And first of all, the first thing out of their mouth is, I know this shouldn't bother me. And I'm like, it's the almost like the biggest portion of your life. Like you spend so much and and they're complaining oftentimes about a manager or a boss or something. And I'll have to say, 
you need to stop to understand that most people are promoted to their level of mediocrity. Like this is where they top right. out. They just kind of did the task that was required at the level below well enough to promote. But then now they have people that they have to lead and they're not always good at that. They yeah. were good at the task, right. but not the people part. Yeah. So, so well said. It's oh. a hit and miss kind of affair, right? Yeah. So there are exceptions, but most of the time our experience at work is kind of miserable. Right. Um, or it can be or it can kind of sneak up on you. And all of a sudden you're doing something you enjoy, but you're doing it in a way that disempowers you. You feel disengaged. It's almost like we think of work as a different, completely different environment from our home life. Sure. Like it's going to be, you know, yeah. less drama and, you know, uh, less conflict. But uh, <laughs> we compartmentalize. Right? Yeah. We yeah. don't bring our whole selves to what we do. Uh, because it's risky. It's mm -hmm. scary. We can be stomped on. We can be outvoted. We can be ignored. Mm -hmm. um, and so the self-organization movement is designed to bring whole self to the game. Everything that you can sense and feel and have aspirations around towards purposes you care about, where there's nothing in the way of you helping to pursue that purpose, helping to structure an organization and do the work of the organization without fear of some intermediary Authority figure. And this will segue us into decentralization. So it's a decentralized approach to organization, okay. right? Without a centralized command and control structure. And this is part of the self organization movement. And it's really just sweeping the planet. Mm -hmm. There's some awesome uh, examples, awesome pioneers. And I launched a company in 2007 with my business partner, Brian Robertson. We met in 2006, and he had been experimenting with different alternatives to running and structuring organizations. And we launched a company called Holacracy One in 2007. And Holacracy One is the organization that created a practice, a rule set, a way of replacing management hierarchy with something else. Can I, can I ask a stupid question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no uh, stupid question. What, break down the etiology of the name for me there. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, I was yeah. looking at it going, ha. I know. Ha. Like, I know a part of that, but. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So it's a compound word. Um, it, uh, the, the prefix is holarchy. It's a structure. And it's just a fancy name, a fancy label for a natural structure. Nice. You are a holarchy. Gotcha. And a holarchy is a structure that's made up of whole parts one part to a bigger part to a bigger part. So cells. This is very Jungian. Yeah, it's natural. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything is organized this way. It's right. a natural structure instead of an artificial structure. So holarchy is the pre, and then ocracy is like governance. Gotcha. Democracy, okay. right? So there's um, governance by the structure itself. Mm. So holacracy is self-governing, self-governance. Even though we live in a democracy in, in the abstract, you know, in general, when we get to work, it's, you have yeah. a bunch of, it's not though, a bunch of totalitarian regimes, you know, yeah. you do. So either that or the polar opposite, you're either tormented by the tyranny of consensus by, oh. do you see what I see? Yeah. Do you see what I see? Can you support what I see? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, getting consensus seeking, um, energy in a room is horrible. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of energy. You have personal politics, personal relationships that you're leveraging, afraid to step on anybody's toes, all to reach a consensus about what to do. 
Uh, on the other end of that, ah, is right. Yeah. <laughs> it, also, it also seems like it would lock out a lot of good options. If it, you're only like, here's option one or two, and which it's one? Absolutely. And it's dependent on the individual's confidence uh-huh. and ability to step in and use her or his voice yeah. in a field that oftentimes can be um, limiting or scary or not safe to use your voice. So back to the limiting, you limit perspectives Mm -hmm. because you don't have everybody stepping in and sharing what's on their mind in pursuit of a purpose they care about. Wow. So on the other end of the poll, if we don't do that, then oftentimes we're left with the other, which is autocratic decision-making, right? Authoritarian decision-making. And there it's a crapshoot. You either get a great boss that's progressive and enlightened and envisioned and impassioned and helping you to be so too, Mm -hmm. which is cool. Yeah. But there's no guarantees of that or you don't. And we've all all had the experience of not having that. Right. Right. And it's by no means is that a a cynical point of view. I think (laughs) that's more, that's more, you know, more common than not. Um, Let me circle back though. Whenever we talk about money and its uses, um, there are basically two types, right? There's paper currency, you know, cash that I take out of my wallet and hand it to someone. And then we have digital currency, which is like, you know, like a paycheck that gets sent to my bank account electronically, right. You know, direct Mm -hmm. deposit, that kind of thing. But now we have this new kid on the block, pardon the pun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Cryptocurrency. Um, but if, uh, and we talked about this, if I understand it right, you really can't talk about the, the money part without understanding the, uh, the technology behind it. So, and we're talking about blockchain technology. So kind of, uh, you know, elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah. Let's step into that a bit. Um, so (laughs) you might want to get a little closer to the mic there. Pull it, pull it towards you. That way you don't have to lean. There we go. go. Yeah. That's much better. Come in, baby. Cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, let's dig into that a little bit and I'll use, um, the decentralization frame as kind of a, a way of orienting, uh, to what we're talking about. And we're used to things that have been centralized, right? So let's use technology just in general. Uh, Back in the day, we had centralized computing. We had just the data center. And then we had decentralized networks. And then we had cloud computing, right? So uh, computers everywhere, it became ubiquitous. It wasn't centralized in some big data center owned by some big corporation or bank. It became the cloud, the Amazon cloud, for Mm -hmm. example. So that's an example of decentralization um, in one area of uh, technology, back-end services. And this whole movement, decentralization movement, is affecting all kinds of industries and professions. So not just technology, but decentralizing logic, like with the Airbnb uh, systems, right? So having the ability to link um, a guest with a host um, with um, properties all over the world. And without having a central hotel chain providing the buildings and the space and the maintenance and so on for that. So it's a decentralized approach to lodging. We have decentralized approaches to transportation. I was just going to say Uber just jumped right in my head. Yeah. Yeah. So these are all the poster children, the the go-tos for just kind of understanding where we've come from. This is a trend, right? This isn't just something that appeared out of nowhere. We evolved here step by step. So this is an evolutionary process. And there's a great author that I really enjoy, Kevin Kelly. And he wrote a book called The Inevitable, uh, 12 Trends That uh, Are Sweeping the Planet, 12 Immutable um, 
technology trends. And one of them is everything that can be decentralized will be decentralized, right? So this is just a, a evolutionary march forward progress. Right. So um, <clears throat> I was just sharing a little bit about my own work of decentralizing one other command and control structure, management hierarchy, into a decentralized decision-making governing system to run and structure an organization for purpose. That's kind of cool. Right. Yeah. But what about money? What about currency? <clears throat> and so um, about 10 years or so ago, there was a lot of innovation around something called the blockchain. And <laughs> that can be um, very difficult or super simple. And, and let's just take a super simple approach. And the, the, the definition itself, blockchain, what does that mean? And if you think about it, <clears throat> Um, it is simply a container. Think of literally a block, a cube, right? That's one block in a chain of blocks. One cube connected to another cube, connected to another cube. Eventually you have a chain of cubes or blocks. And then what's inside that cube is data, something, content. We'll come back to that in a second. So the interesting underlying technology is a way of creating a block of data, a ledger, if you will, mm -hmm. to write down some transaction in a way that's trusted. So the blockchain is an underlying infrastructure. It's a technology that underpins the cryptocurrency, <clears throat> Bitcoin, Ether, Ethereum, and so on, um, using a very simple way of connecting one thing to another that you guarantee the, um, the content of it um, is as it was when it was written. So was, was transparency like the initial one of the initial goals uh, for the technology? I mean, the part of its genesis, that was one of the you know what they were trying to get to yeah. or because a lot of people ask me about, you know, when we talk about this, you know, well, immediately they, they think, well, decentralization, they think you know, and they hear about crypto, they think you know, something nefarious is going on, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, no, actually, it was um, more about trust. Yeah, I okay. think it so, needs to go through some rebranding or something because right. crypto yeah. makes it sound bad. We need a better yes. salesman. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, well, <laughs> we have we have the, the luxury of having a sex therapist here. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> sex sells, drugs sell. Oh, right? well, the, yeah. Right, so right? if you make so, it sound naughty. Well, it's, it's yeah. actually how some emerging um, technologies or cutting edge te technologies got into the world. If you think about pornography and, and, and the internet, yeah. right? And what was some of the early drivers, <laughs> right? So, and the same with these new technologies, they can certainly be abused. Right. And that abuse gives bad name. But it doesn't taint the underlying technology and what it can do for the world with all kinds of things, all kinds of industries. And we'll talk about a few of those. So it's the same with the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, in the early 90s, when it was first coming online, it was, it was going to ruin the world, right? <laughs> so yeah. um, everything on the internet was going to be bad and untrusted, and you don't know what you're getting, and there were pirates and there were crime and all of it, right? You can go back in the 80s and the 90s and even the early 2000s, right after the dot-com burst, and it got all sorts of bad press. So same kind of mixed messages with the underlying technology that is now emerging riding on top of the internet, right? So blockchain rides up on top of the internet and it does what the internet does not do. Nothing on the internet is trusted. Yeah. Blockchain can't be altered. 
No, exactly. So yeah. that block that I was talking about, that cube, mm-hmm. whatever you stuff in that cube has a unique fingerprint, a unique ID. And in that technology, it's called a hash, just a special name for a unique uh, fingerprint. Mm-hmm. And that fingerprint is specifically um, tailored or tuned to the content. So if you change one period in one sentence in one paragraph, then that fingerprint changes. It's no longer the same fingerprint. So this is the way of guaranteeing the trust that whatever you, whatever content you put into that block, that container, yeah. is the same content no matter what for the whole history of time. So it's an amazing chain that you get one block after another, after another, and you know that whatever is in that block is exactly what should be in that block and you know exactly who owns the data, who you, owns the content. You're talking about this, and and I don't disagree with this, but you're talking about this as the, this is the evolution, this is the future. To me, this sounds extremely primal. This sounds like how commerce has happened, individual to individual, but now with a very standardized kind of like, yep, that's exactly what that is. It would be like if somebody was trading or bartering and yet there was a judge standing right there going, yep, that's worth it. And yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it's taking awesome it down to a level of it accessibility. Is. It's taking it down and distributing it. Yeah. So this is the other huge innovation. So that might not sound so sexy, right? So right. write something down, trust that it's there. It's in a ledger. Fine. But you usually verify that with a central authority figure, a bank a trustee, a judge, a business verifies the data. With blockchain technology, the verification is from the system itself. So the system is actually self-verifying the data, the transaction, which takes out the intermediary um, uh, authority. So whatever is written into the block, is verified by the rest of the network. By, the cons- by a consensus, basically. Yeah, so no longer do you have to go to your bank to get your balance in your checking account. So you can trust that whatever is registered in the blockchain with your balance is the verifiable definitive balance in your checking account, as an example. And so we don't have to rely on or trust a third-party institution to verify the data. And this is the other big innovation. That means now we can take this copy machine that is the internet that's all over the planet and layer on top of it another technology that allows us to trust content. And so you might think of, hmm, what might we stuff into these blocks? Oh gosh. Right? That we wanna trust. Yeah. So think about um, uh, a deed title uh, to a property, right? So we can actually put title into a block and verify that that is, one, the owner and the actual property definition. So you have that actually anchored in a public ledger that can't be changed or easily changed. And we can trust that that is clear title, for example, to that property. Got title records, birth records. I mean, voting. Yeah, exactly. That you read my mind. That's. These are all the experiments that are underway. And there are big problems to solve, big hurdles to solve. And there are all kinds of regulatory issues to solve along with this. This is the internet back in the early 90s. Right, right, right. (laughs) So we're just getting our feet under us. We're taking baby steps. God, it's amazing, though, because to me, 
like you said, the the internet came out with uh, to not such great fanfare. But when people realized, hey, this is a this is a whole brand new economy. I think that's when we started to see uh, like this unnatural surge, like in the stock market, for example. People thought, oh, okay, well, Walmart has all these brick and mortar stores <clears throat> now. They got a new channel that they can open up to buy and you know to to sell things and and I think people just applied that you know instinctively to every business on the planet and they're like oh yeah, yeah holy crap yeah, look at this new for sure yeah so you've got a, a bubble and a bust a bubble and a bust which right. is how things evolve right right so we had the dot com bubble and sure. bust and now we're we've had a few of those um, none like the the late nineties and early two thousands. <laughs> But the same also with the blockchain and the crypto experiments. We've had bubble and bust. And I think um, riding those waves can be extraordinarily painful oh, yeah. and risky. Yeah. But it is a natural cycle of development is how we evolve into what's next. We run a lot of experiments. Many, many, many of them are going to fail. But the underlying technology is going to succeed just like the Internet succeeded. And I think, my opinion, just my opinion only, that that technology will fundamentally change other industries just like the underlying technology of the internet changed commerce mm -hmm. and transactions and communications and got us Twitter and email and <laughs> online banking and all of it. <clears throat> Let me come back to the, uh, cause you mentioned this word ledger a couple of times and, and I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> remember that there are people who are watching this who are brand new to this subject. So um, when we talked about this, uh, in previous conversations, I tried to break it down in the sense of, okay, so the, the beauty of the, the blockchain consensus is, let's say, for example, I was buying a head of lettuce, right? I use this example with you. Um, when you go to the grocery store, there might be a tag on it saying which farm that it came from. So you know, the, you know where, basically where the, the lettuce might have originated. And you also, you know, whether it's California, whatever, you know, whatever the state or locale was. And then you bought it from, you know, you got a, the name of the store in your head. But with the blockchain ledger, what you basically can do is, okay, you got an entry from the very beginning. So the man that basically put the seed or whatever in the ground. Right. Uh, the, the person that watered it. Right. Then finally, the person that ripped it out of the ground. Handed it to the guy who was going to load it on the truck. Right. Then loads it on the truck. <clears throat> then you find out you know, where the truck stops along the way. Yeah. And yeah. so on and so forth. Is that? Yeah, that's a, a fair analogy. So you have a chain of custody, right? To use a financial or legal term, or just simply leg bone connected to the hip bone connected right. to the spine <laughs> bone. You have a way, a trail, a, a ledger, a, a legend of where this thing has been. Um, every step of its life. That's one way to think about it. Mm -hmm. So you have a definitive trail of every transaction that has happened to that particular asset. And here we're using a fun asset, a head of lettuce. Right. <laughs> now a head of lettuce has a shelf life and it dies <laughs> probably, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or is consumed. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, a very uh, brief ledger sure. <laughs> in its life. <laughs> but then there are very um, long lived assets back to property, right? Um, oh. Title yeah, for commercial go. and housing um, uh, titles, for example. Right. Um, and currency. Imagine being able to track the whole history and every exchange of hand that every dollar bill has been through, mm. right? 
that makes the of, that makes the germ phobe person kind of <laughs> without the germ. Or hey, wait, so, <laughs> where where at what point did the cocaine show up on my money? Yeah, exactly. Whose right. g-string with, has with, this been uh, in? Right. I don't wanna. Right, right, right. <laughs> without the breadcrumbs, right. Exactly. <laughs> right? Without the unwanted bits, right? Um, but that's kind of what we're really pointing to. We have the ability now to track at a very granular level. But that's the transparency it, too, it even is. the bad parts. It is, so. even the bad parts. Yeah, it's a very honest kind of situation. Yeah, it, it's um, there's a whole lot of technical um, uh, res- um, material that you can go into to look at how it is a trusted system, mm-hmm. an honest system, right. and how hard it is to corrupt the system. So in that regard, it is going to change trustworthiness in a electronic infrastructure or digital infrastructure, we will have the ability to actually trust something is what it claims to be um, with a high, high degree of confidence. And with that trust allows us to do new things like manage money. Mm-hmm. Like the very definition of trust is actually going to change once. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. <clears throat> actually lately it's changing how we're feeding the poor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, in 2017, the UN's World Food Program recently began using blockchain technology to securely and transparently distribute immediate cash assistance to hungry people in remote and difficult to access parts of the world. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. So the, the accessibility is there. All you need is an internet connection, right? Yeah. Um, digital currency doesn't weigh anything. Yeah. Um, it shows up in the ubiquitous, ubiquitous device that we all have, our phone. And our wallets became become not physical leather wallets or purses, but electronic wallets as an app running on our phone. Mm-hmm. And that wallet knows who you are with a private key that only you know. And only that key unlocks the assets that you own. Mm. Right? And right. so the UN and others can actually distribute vast amounts of money simply by distributing it to electronic digital wallets in a much more scalable way. When I thought about how this might affect my clients, like, like you say, on a granular level, I mean, I look at, you know, just in the United States, we have close to 2 million people who don't have a bank account still, or we have people, you know, I have clients that send money to uh, friends or relatives or some case themselves overseas. And the average, the average remittance fee for that is somewhere around 7%. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So just thinking about bringing, not just the the instantaneous nature of being able to send money from one place to another, like Shauna could send it to me as we're sitting here and, and do it in a way that's incredibly cheap. Yeah. For, uh, to that point, there was an article just this week, um, illustrating that there was, an individual, um, a Bitcoin whale. Um, so a Bitcoin <laughs> holder with a big, big chunk. And this individual moved um, about 300 million US dollars worth of Bitcoin from one place to another place, a remittance. Do you know how much that transaction cost? 300 million. Three, no, no, 300 million, moving 300 million equivalent US dollars from one place to another. How much did that transaction cost oh, uh, on the Bitcoin blockchain? I'm sure in, in the millions. Yeah. About 32 cents. I was going to say a ridiculously small amount probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Absurdly. Uh, yeah. So the overhead to actually move money 
has been drastically decreased. It also right? seems like this would um, this would be perfect for people who are extremely skeptical of organizations. Yeah, and that breaks into a whole new <laughs> genre, right? Yeah, yeah, banks banks have been taking it on the shin for for a while now, yeah. and rightfully yeah. so. But I mean, yeah. Well, or even going back to what I was saying about you know, like charitable organizations, like there's websites that police that kind of thing. Now you're not going to have to do that, right? You know, you can put your trust in the system to yeah. your money goes where it says it's going. Yeah, you do have um, a ledger, a trail of where things have been. Um, there is a bit of anonymity baked into it. We're not using names. We're only using addresses mm -hmm. and these fingerprints, right, to verify things. And the ultimate anchoring to you, Shauna, as an individual is that um, private key, your key that gives you access to your stuff. Right. Um, so that's kind of the interface between you, the owner, and the stuff that you own on the chain. And so there's a private public key encryption process that's um, probably out of scope for me <laughs> <laughs> that is part of the underlying technology to make this a trustworthy transaction. It's amazing. Did you have that? What, oh, more yeah. about the, well, no, no, there? I didn't, I, I didn't know if you had any other, Oh, uh, I, about blockchain or about Bitcoin or any of it. Oh no, anything. Yeah. Anything. Okay. Well, the little bit that I do know about it is that to to invest in this to like buy into it with right. Bi Bitcoin, right? Yep. You need actual money. Yeah. Still yeah, don't. for sure. Okay. Yes. So, and it, it, you know, as he mentioned earlier, many of the people in this country still don't really have bank accounts. Um, so, are we always going to need access to the banking system to per to participate in this or not? Do you see it? Kind yeah, of moving past. That's an awesome question. I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Um, I have some hunches. Um, it um, depends on how we end up defining what money is, right? And so, as because that definition will change too. I, it is yeah. changing, and it's in flux, um, even in our taxing and our regulatory bodies. So, the Securities and Exchange Commission is looking at um, these techniques, these methods on raising capital. What does that mean? Um, do the same rules apply? The Internal Rev Revenue Service is looking at how do we tax gains on these currencies? Are these currencies or this prop is this property, mm. right? Yeah. And so what applies? These are the things, the regulatory things that are being sorted out. This is early, early days. So, but to your point, um, in order to start playing this game, you need to convert one currency to another currency. Right. And I use that loosely currency you're moving one asset one thing that you own a dollar bill or a euro and you're converting that euro into a certain amount of another currency mm -hmm. bitcoin let's say gotcha. for example and so there are exchanges just like there are brokerage houses right where you can trade your u.s dollars for apple stock right gotcha so there are exchanges all over the world that are exchanging fiat currencies of all kinds and varieties for a particular cryptocurrency. Fiat currency being basically government-backed yeah. money. Right. U.S. dollars, mm -hmm. pesos, uh, euros, et cetera. You got to dumb it down for the rest of us. Yeah, I'm, try <laughs> like I said, I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm like, like the car? I'm trying like, to keep it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> well, you know what's amazing is uh, it seems like the, the generation that is kind of on the, the pioneering edge of this are like our kids. Yeah. They're using... Uh, mom and dad's money to buy tokens and they use those tokens to play 
to buy stuff when they're playing their video games. Yeah, yeah. the whole gamification, right? Right, yeah. right. That's a whole nother topic, oh, yeah. right? Of, yeah. Uh, the massively multiplayer worlds where you can actually buy um, items, whether it be yeah. armor or spells or I don't know what's going on. You know, you can buy all kinds of things with real money. Um, and that real money actually buys you a virtual thing. It's yeah. amazing. It really kind of stretches your imagination about value and money and currency and all of it. I can hear all the parents grabbing the Nintendo Switch <laughs> off of the off of the couch and like, thing. let me see what the what have you been doing? Right. What have you been doing? Yes. This I love how kind of like wonderfully subversive this all sounds. It, it sounds very anti-government, very anti-establishment, and that to me is just very kind libertarian. Of yeah, kind yeah. of exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I think I think this would probably set some people's teeth on edge. Like, yeah. oh, hey, 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 everybody, right. just calm down. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, right. right. Yeah, I, I think this lights up people who want a more libertarian approach to living their lives without any outside interference, without a central control or governing system to tell yeah. them what to do. So there's a lot more freedom, but there's a lot more risk too. It's, um, you know, it's early days. It's wild, wild west. A lot of times it's unregulated in certain places. There have been all kinds of horror stories making the news about the losses, the huge losses. There was a, an exchange um, about five, six years ago, one of the largest exchanges at the time that had um, the cryptocurrency uh, stolen, threat, theft. So nice. someone hacked the system, got access to the private keys, and actually just absconded with um, hundreds of millions of U.S. dollars worth of cryptocurrency. Jeez. And that bankrupted the, the exchange. I've read, I've read these stories about these uh, Bitcoin ATMs. Yeah. Or something where, where people literally, you know, buying, you know, the, they're laundering money like at this, <laughs> a guy could, could buy it and take it basically at one station. You know, it's happened here in Plano. There was like a big, uh, you know, story about that. So. Yeah, that's definitely the downside. I yeah. Mean, the, the dark, the, the dark <laughs> yeah. web, right? Right, right. And using things for nefarious purposes, for sure. Um, so we have to kind of grow up into and mature into being able to use these scaling technologies in a way that is useful that is deploying um, resources to people that need them, that is providing audible chains of custody to things that we want to know uh, with definity who owns what. Um, so, yeah, we kind of need to step into this, I think. Two things that I thought of right away was it, just in terms of how it would affect me or, or affect my clients, so to speak. Number one was when I was uh, a Katrina refugee, and there were these organizations that were, well, first FEMA was giving out money. And I know a lot of people, you know, are still upset about that. But, um, you know, there were the, the people that suffered the most were the people who didn't, you know, number one, didn't have access to a bank account. Number two, didn't have access to the internet because that's, ba that's basically how they were transferring the money. And I just sit here thinking, God, if there, and as an advisor too, if there was a way that we could just, you know, it's almost like peer to peer, I'm sending you something, like it's a straight line. There are no uh, market hours to have to worry about. There are no holidays. Right. It's right. just, it's completely open. And, and I know it's going to get there too. Yeah. And that certainly is already there. So right. the wallet you have on your phone mm -hmm. uh, can hold multiple currencies of different types yeah. that are different values. And you can exchange peer to peer. You can send me just like through 
PayPal or Venmo or cash apps or whatever. There's a lot of those kind of peer to peer um, uh, apps out there, but those all anchor back to a central clearinghouse. You have PayPal, for example, or a bank. In this case, it's that network itself. Remember that's mm -hmm. resolving the transaction. That's verifying. Oh, Jeff does have two of these things to give and Oh, Tom's wallet is this address mm -hmm. and Oh, it's okay to move two of your assets from your wallet to my wallet. There is no bank. There's no PayPal. There's no governmental agency. It's just strictly between you and I on the network and the network verifies it. Once your two things that you own become two things that I own, you can't alter the record. It can't be hacked. It just, just gives you chills. Um, so how, what, like what level of finance would someone need to kind of start getting into this? Yeah, actually very small. So um, Coinbase, um, I'm not um, affiliated with them. <laughs> I'm a customer. This is of not them. an ad. This is not an ad. <laughs> there are many of them. Uh, Coinbase probably is one of the longer lived and uh, more reputable uh, exchanges. Um, easy to sign up. It's uh, as simple as signing up for a bank account. You need, need an ID and login information, photo ID, that kind of thing. You are who you say you are. Yeah. And then if you have a buck, five bucks, 10 bucks, you can get on the exchange and shop around for currencies that you're interested in okay. investments, if you will. And that, that I actually, I did it the, the day that you told me about it, you know, I just, cause it was like you said, you know, just kind of get in there and play with it, you know? Yeah, so yeah, I, I sure. mean, I just check it out. Yeah. I just put in like a hundred, 150 bucks. Yeah. And, and that's another thing it's because it's so democratic. I don't it, I think eventually people will not feel like, Oh, really, this isn't a lot of money that I'm putting in here. You know, there's, there's like, a, there's these social pressures, like this isn't for me, you know, right. Right. but it's, it's been scaled down to the point where that's, you know, there's no judgment basically. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It, it makes it easy to play, right. easy access to kind of familiarize yourself, to test the waters, dip your toe in and see how it feels for you. Uh, I remember I've been dipping my toe in uh, to new things for a very long time. Um, and, um, tried this whole cryptocurrency thing, I think back in 2014 or so. So it's been a while. I remember, um, using this, this wallet, the exact scenario that you and I just talked about mm -hmm. moving a couple of things that I own to my uh, business colleague and I was paying for literally lunch and I was using crypto. I was using Bitcoin at the time mm -hmm. to transmit a few Bitcoin to my colleague for my share of the lunch. Yeah. Right. And so that happened in real time. That's actually not a big deal. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> that happens all the yeah. time. You can do that in really cool apps. But the interesting thing here is I believe I transmitted at the time, um, maybe a half a Bitcoin that might've been maybe 50 bucks. Yeah. Right. And so maybe it was dinner <laughs> <laughs> today, that half of Bitcoin, do you know what Bitcoin is going for today? Oh on my the market? God. Oh, it's, it's, like, it's, it's north of 10,000. It's dropped quite a bit oh, actually yeah. just in the last couple of days, but it's hovering around 7,000. Yeah. yeah. So that was a $3,500 lunch in today's, <laughs> <laughs> in today's value. That's and wild. there are wonderful stories about, yeah. you know, the, the $1 pizza, that became a million dollars, you know, nine years later. Yeah. So, you know, I, I back to the conversation Jeff, you and I had a while ago is playing with these new technologies, these new vehicles, just to get your feet wet. Mm -hmm. Because just like the internet, 
You know, you were kind of remember AOL making it simple America. Oh yeah. It's already, it's already, do you remember AOL? You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. With the discs. And that was kind of how your parents first got an email account. Right. Yep. Right. I know some people who still have those. (laughs) Yeah. That's still on. But you will remember your first uh, crypto account, your Mm -hmm. first wallet where you could hold the assets yourself and start playing with them. This is the black and white TV of our generation. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the time is now to experiment with uh, a, a lot of caution and uh, be wary of the risks because they're high and we're going to have more bubbles and bursts. Okay. So um, currently, like most financial kind of institutions or trends, this seems to be a bit of a male, white male dominated kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Is there any insight you can give as to why that is? Do you see that changing? Is it just because that's usually who has money to play with or? Yeah, that's a fascinating question. I honestly don't know the answer to that either. Um, And I don't know if it's the vehicle for access, if that tends to bias towards um, gender or race in one way or the other. Um, But when you when you download the app, is it not pink? Because <laughs> that's how we know it's for us if it's pink. Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> People who know me will know that that's an inside joke of mine that I get very upset about. Like, there's pink baseball bats and pink soccer balls, and right. I'm like, this is sexist. So, anyways. Yeah, no, I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of with you. We want the rules to be in service of greater freedom for everyone, yeah. despite race, um, gender preferences of any kind or sort. Right. So in fact, that's the disintermediating part, right? To use that fancy word is to get someone out of the middle that's making a judgment call. So it's just between you and me. Right. 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 And to the extent, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) or no risk of bias. Yeah. Right. It's the rules themselves. That's right. So there's still bias. There was a case very recently. (laughs) Like just to take it back to property, like I might get a whole different financing or whatever arrangement than like you would looking at the same property. So you're right. right. It's rules that are running this. Right. So new rules are being needed. Uh, new rules in service of greater freedom. And this takes me all the way back to my work. This replacement for management hierarchy that we opened with is not just aspirational. Wouldn't it be nice if Jeff and I could just kind of get along and we weren't bosses <laughs> or uh, we weren't direct reports? No, that actually doesn't work. We, what we need is a replacement for that power structure that we're used to. And that replacement is a set of rules, a game that we play together, a game that we agree to play together that creates, creates an equal playing field regardless of race, gender, or preference. So these are the rules that are being decentralized, making it easier to access systems that we trust, that we want to engage and play with because it benefits us and others to do so. Right. Wow. I like that. I, I, I really like a lot of what this is speaking to. Yeah. Like on a, on a moral or ethical kind of level. It's hitting me in the feels. (laughs) I got to admit. I do believe it levels the playing field. It does. It really does. Yeah, it seems to. And it gives access to where access wasn't before. Yeah, right. Right. And if you expect almost any kind of investment situation to come with inherent risks, you know, that you might, for all the reasons that we've talked about today, you might favor this over like traditional stocks, investments, or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. It seems to me based on on what you're saying is that the, the technology or, or say, you know, whatever, uh, 
cryptocurrency we're using, the uh, the technology is only as good as its security, right? So, uh, in other words, we, we're taking out the referee. Um, God, it's NFL season, so people. <laughs> <laughs> right. No more instant replay. Money at right. football. But um, but I guess what I'm saying is the the technology really isn't new in in term you know itself. It's just. Uh, what degree of sophistication and security we have with it. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. we we want trusted systems and you know, anybody that's paying attention to this space, whether it be Google or Apple or Microsoft or any of the other players, Facebook, um, our data, how do we protect our data? Um, this is a driving force in our culture. It's to figure out, wow, we have access now to all of this information. Cool. How do we protect it? Mm-hmm. How do we make it safe? How do we make it trustworthy? Right. How do we make it so that it serves us and doesn't do us harm? These are the questions that we're in. This mm-hmm. is the early days of sorting that out. And there are certainly technological answers of you know, better security, better internet security, and um, passwords, encryptions, and all of that. And then there's just uh, how do we use this? What's a, what should or shouldn't we do with the access and the information that we have? When I was at... The, one of the great things about Coinbase is uh, you can sign up for these tutorials that explain because every every currency seems to have its own you know uh, sophisticated network, but uh, and once you complete the tutorials, they actually give you free currency. Yeah, so they yeah. pay you to t- yeah. they, they, right. they pay you to go through them basically. Yeah. So a lot of the a lot of them have the same keywords that I noticed, um, you know. Crypto is borderless. Uh, it can protect against hyperinflation. So if uh, suddenly the U.S. turned into, you know, post-World War I Germany and we haven't, you know, we start seeing a run on banks and stuff like that and, and uh, you know, there's no more bread on, on the shelf at the store or people are literally using sledgehammers to break into ATMs, yeah. you know, this kind of erases those those lines and, and is like a hedge against that. So. Yeah, for yeah. sure. It, it, it does um, some interesting things to conventional um, conventional problems that have gotten in the way. Borders, so converting euros to dollars or transmitting from the states to Europe uh, was really, really hard. Um, getting easier and easier, but still there are hoops that you have to go through converting your euros to dollars. Um, in the transactions that we've talked about, wallet to wallet, who cares where you are? Right. Right? Yeah. So you're transmitting the same similar value in the same similar currency with the same similar network. And it's not dependent on any jurisdictional intervention. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're in the United States or Argentina or in Germany, you're using a ubiquitous network that's borderless and you're transmitting a currency that has a standard value amongst, amongst the currency users, not necessarily linked to the peso or the yen, or the ruble, or the dollar, right? So to the extent that that is stable, then you have a stable currency to purchase things that you care about where that currency is accepted. Gotcha. Right? So it is changing the game, but that should beg the question for you and all the listeners is, hmm, what is the value of that currency? What can I buy with Bitcoin or Ether or whatever currency that you're speculating with? Right. When I just think of how far we've come, you know, we've gone from smoke signals to 
<laughs> waiting for a couple of days, you know, to, uh, you know, for your money to clear, like a remittance to clear. Or, Western Union. Yeah, or, you know, today I bought shares of an ATF, uh, yeah. ATF, ETF, ETF. I, yeah. and it's going to take, <laughs> you can do that. Yeah. Okay. In three days, hence three business days, yeah. you know, the trade will settle in my account. Right. But God, if this technology ever catches on, like I said earlier, it's 24 seven and it's, it's instantaneous. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's no more governing, governing body to, to slow things down. There's no, when yeah. the market opens. Right. Right. Exactly. right. Okay. It's a 24 hour market. So if you're tracking the value of these currencies, whether it be Bitcoin or um, Litecoin or ether or the thousand of them that are out there now, it is a 24 hour exchange globally. Second yes. to second. Yeah. 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 It, it is pretty amazing for sure. And then the transaction times, the verification times, um, are aspirationally moving towards near instantaneous, but are nowhere near that. So that is still a technolo technological issue being worked out. But it certainly is um, much, much faster than the two-day um, settlement times for most transactions. Right. happen in real time, like you buy and sell a stock, that happens in real time. But the settlement still is 24 to 48 hours after the fact. Right. Is, is this... I know this at this point in the podcast, this may be a stupid question, um, but you were, you, you were discussing the bubble and burst, the bubble and burst kind of thing. Um, so say I used a lot of my US dollars to buy Bitcoin yep. and I saw the value of that rising, like it was suddenly, like, like you said, you know, the difference between lunch versus $7,000 today, <laughs> right? right? Exactly. <laughs> so I saw that going up and yeah. then I, I decided, oh, I don't know if I can handle this much and I could pull out. Right. Convert it back to dollars. Yep. Easy. And then wait and see. Yep. And then jump back in. Yep. Kind so of. You, so it's easier to get in and out. It is. That's. And what, there's no penalties. Um, just the transaction costs. So the brokerage fee equivalent for the exchanges are going to charge you a little bit to buy. Okay. And a little bit to sell. Okay. So there is that cost overhead with any investment you make, speculative investment you make in a cryptocurrency. Okay. So, I think I think the exchanges and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think the exchanges have kind of picked up on this a little bit, maybe instinctively, because lately there's been a, a race to the bottom in terms of what they're charging uh, to to place a, a trade. You know, it's almost like I think of those poor guys that I used yeah. to work with in the full service industry where, yeah. you know, the the order ticket guys, you know, right. you're paying you know, $40, $50 just to place a trade. Whereas now a lot of companies, particularly the you know, direct companies right. don't charge anything, you know? Right. Yeah. So it's kind of what happened with brokerage houses, right? right. In the right. 70s and 80s, democratization, Charles Schwab and, you know, all the others that yeah. came out. OLDE. Yeah. 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 E-Trade, you know, you're your own personal broker. You don't need the intermediary. There's this trend, right? This right. has been going on for quite some time. Um, and so, yeah, the, the fees are now competitively um, being um, uh, brought to, to a more um, economical level or a more affordable level. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a good, good competition between the exchanges, right? Which is, I think, a healthy thing. But if you look at um, just Coinbase, for example, I think published some data not too long ago this year that um, they have generated $1 billion U.S. dollars in transaction fees. Wow. Right? <sighs> So there's, there's a lot of trading going on. Mm -hmm. Now there are hedge funds as well, uh, professional investors that are eyeing this market as a potential new asset class and really seeing this as changing the monetary system. And there's all kinds of, you know, wild speculations about what this might mean 
with stores of value like gold or uh, T-bills or whatever you might think of. Um, but there are people that are really interested in uh, seeing this become an asset class. And go ahead. Oh, just one follow-up question. Is there then a uh, tax fee? Like if I, like right now, if I cash out stocks, then I have to pay a fee when it's tax season on that. Oh yeah, okay. for sure. So there's that also with Bitcoin. Yep. The okay. IRS treats this as property okay. and you have short-term and long-term capital gains, gains depending on how long you held it. Gotcha. Your proceeds from selling. This being profit. Or loss. Yep. It's still Boys profit. and girls. Yeah. yeah it's still yeah, profit. Yeah. For, for, okay. for people well, listening. Well, yeah. with, with a lot of this, we've been talking about it being kind of decentralized and things like that. So I just, I didn't know if that then. Well, that was that, that aspect still is controversial <laughs> even not that long ago. Right. Yeah. So the IRS is still wrestling with how to um, properly categorize this and tax um, oh. this asset. Uh, have landed on property and they have now guidance and they're now collecting data from the exchanges, just like you would collect data from brokerage houses on buys and sells so they can get visibility into what kind of tax obligation you might have uh, as someone that is trading in these cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. gotcha. And this is all really new, like in the last 10, two years new. Yeah. Right. Wow. A lot of changes. Well, that, that, uh, brings up a, a good point that's uh, particularly relevant to my uh, field of expertise, uh, investing. So you and I talked about this and we pretty much agreed that uh, when, I, when I think of currency, you know, whether it be, you know, fiat money or, uh, you know, like people trading in derivatives mm -hmm. on current on, you know, the US dollar, the, the euro, the British pound, what have you. Right. Um, or say commodities like gold, you know, uh, cotton, silver, whatever it is, I, I would tend to treat this more like something that's pure speculation from an investing perspective. Cause I do have people who, uh, are not just new to it, but who are very, who've already bought in, you know, very, you know, big time. Right. And they're, and they, they're trying to t convince me that, <laughs> that I'm not seeing it for what it is, but I think, uh, I mean, maybe this might be resolved later on, but the volatility is such that we can't consider this to be a, a great uh, investment. Maybe something to round out your portfolio in a very, you know, uh, in a low percentage way. But it's basically money that you're willing to set on fire. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. This yeah. is speculative for sure. And in your portfolio, this is in the high risk category. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Particularly people who bought Bitcoin after its peak, after that that run up. Yeah. So the the run up. Um, in late 2017 and then the bust in first quarter of 2018. Do you, do you recall how high it got? Cause I'm trying to remember. Right at 20,000 yeah. US dollars yeah. per coin. Right? <laughs> yeah. So that was a wow. huge run up. And then the, the bust um, was about 3000 or so. That was the current bottom. And now it's been hovering between 7,000 and 12,000 mm -hmm. this year. Uh, but now back at its low, it just dipped below six, um, below 7,000 just in the last couple of days. And because we go back to the, the whole, because the market basically is open 24 seven, if I were to log into my Coinbase account right now, I'd see, or just go to the homepage, you'll see a list of uh, different currencies and you'll see that the percentage change. Oh my God. Yeah. And it's <laughs> like how much they change just in the space of an hour even yeah. is, is incredible. Yeah, you'll get three, 5% swings one way or the other um, daily. 
Um, and then dips, the big dips. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 10, 10, 15%. And it's like, whoa, that's a really tough roller coaster ride. Do you, you, is there, uh, is there a currency that you use on a regular basis, uh, you know, as a medium exchange, not just for, you know, uh, speculative purposes or. Yeah, I, I have used Ethereum. So ether F, um, and Bitcoin are kind of the, the two that I've actually transacted in. So we have, um, I have paid for things, uh, using that currency and received uh, remuneration for services rendered actually using that currency as an experiment. Oh, okay. Um, and then, so your client, this, this being a transaction between you and your clients. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I would offer choices just like, um, when you have payment methods, you can pay via check or ACH or a cash, um, or PayPal or whatever. Or PayPal. Yeah. I just add a couple more. Uh, you can transmit Bitcoin or ether. And so I've had some folks take me up on that. Um, that's a interesting game to play. <laughs> if you're charging a hundred bucks for whatever you're delivering and you get a uh, hundred dollars worth of uh, Bitcoin and then tomorrow it's 80. <laughs> it's like, huh? Hmm. Or tomorrow it's 120. It's like that same, huh? So yeah. it, this is the problem, right? So it's not a stable currency. It's not a stable coin. And that is an opportunity. There's actually something called stablecoin that is actually indexed to um, a fiat currency, um, uh, something that is much more stable, U.S. dollars, for example. Mm. So it takes the fluctuations, the radical swings out of the equation and makes something that behaves just like a digital currency more stable, just like a fiat currency. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of experiments going on of how to solve these problems. Oh. I noticed DAI, D-A-I, was one of those that's trying to uh, basically stay as close to the dollar yep. as possible. And what it made me think about, uh, like, as far as investing terms, like an analogy would be that of like a money market fund where, uh, you know, we treat, we basically treat it as cash, but people really don't realize that a money market, like say money market mutual fund, mm -hmm. that money that you put in with them it looks like cash, like a bank account, but that money is actually being invested in a huge portfolio of very like of right. current, you know, uh, investments that are very short term in nature. Yeah. And the, the, what the tutorial basically told me was that if for every dollar you put in, maybe, you know, 30, 33 cents is kind of like gone and, you know, stuck in a vault somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's actually put together with everyone else who's buying yeah. that currency so that it's kind of like the the backstop to to keep it from from being too volatile. Is that does that make sense or? Yeah. Um, yeah so it depends on. The, there's a lot of variables uh, there, probably more than I can even dig into yeah. <laughs> uh, in any uh, meaningful way. But there's the the exchanges are mitigating some of that risk, so they're playing a game. Um, they're arbitraging uh, in certain ways. Um, and then there's the, the exchanges themselves, the market sentiment, the, the value that's going up and down. Um, that's kind of a direct hit to everyone. Um, and then back to this um, individual ownership, if you have your wallet and you've received funds from whatever source, um, that is totally exposed. There's, that is just like uh, has the potential for increased valuation or devaluation depending on the market swings. Mm -hmm. So there's no insulation there at all. Um, so I get, I think it just depends on where you have your coin. 
if you hold it personally in your wallet, you're fully exposed there. If you're in an um, exchange, you might have some leverage. Or if you're in a hedge fund, for example, you might have more leverage mm-hmm. or protection, risk mitigation. Okay. Well, uh, if you don't mind, stick around for a few minutes. We're actually going to change gears a little bit here. We yeah, have sure. uh, we have our case study. Yeah. Awesome. Our I new know. segment. Yeah. Uh, people writing in with uh, their problems and questions. And uh, we try to encourage them to be as detailed as possible. But, uh, you know. This is a pretty oh, detailed cool. one today. Okay. Okay. So today's case study, we have Mike from Lake Charles, Louisiana. Uh, I wonder, well, he didn't include a last name, did he? Nope. It's probably like Thibodeau. Not or, even an initial. <laughs> <laughs> right. Damn you, Or Terrio or something like that. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. Big Mike. <laughs> that's Big Mike. That's What's right. up, Big Mike? <clears throat> I recently retired as the primary breadwinner in my family, and both my wife and I get full Social Security benefits. All of my children are finally off the dole. Congrats, Mike. <laughs> Voice. <laughs> off the <Right>. dole. Wow. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, I have a decent pension for my former employer, and I have enough savings to live a comfortable, albeit a more modest, lifestyle. My house and car is paid for, so my biggest expense is obviously medical. Well, okay. Right. Uh, we don't know you, Mike, but okay. Um, <laughs> most of my savings are tied up in laddered CDs in my IRA. Laddered CDs? Yep. Okay. Laddered. Mm-hmm. But some, <clears throat> excuse me, but some, I'm overcome with Mike. Um, You've reclimped. <clears throat> but some will be maturing soon. Uh, my question is, with interest rates being what they are, what types of investments should I be looking at to get a yield somewhere around 4 to 5%? Uh, that's a great question. That's, I, I'm, that's, you know, it's interesting you got that today because that's, it's very timely. I've been, a lot of people, have, and you're, you're probably, you've probably been asking this question yourself, you know, the search for yield right now. Right. Because yeah. interest rates are still, you know, pretty much rock bottom and, and the bank rates, you know, checking accounts, savings accounts, CDs are reflecting that. So it sounds like, um, and for those who kind of wondered what the term is, laddered CDs, what it sounds like to me is that he had, uh, he took the bulk of his retirement savings, mm-hmm. probably rolled it over. And since he knew he was retiring, he just wanted to protect his principal. Gotcha. And uh, what a lot of people don't know is that um, you basically can buy CDs two ways. You can do it directly with your bank or you can buy what they call brokerage CDs through your brokerage account or your retirement account, as long as it's held at a brokerage firm. Um, And uh, you can actually buy CDs from all over the country that way. So so Fidelity, for example, if I were to go and, and shop for CDs at Fidelity, they would already have an inventory from banks all over the U S and, and the, another great part of this is they're all still FDIC insured. So if we're talking, you know, money amounts in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, Mm -hmm. then I could, I could put together a ladder, which means, okay, this CD is going to mature in six months. This one's going to mature in one year, two years, five years, Mm -hmm. 10 years, so on and so forth. Because the, the longer it takes for that CD to mature, the higher the interest rate. That's at least that's how the, what the common logic is. Gotcha. So it sounds like those, those, uh, shorter duration CDs that he bought probably, he probably got in in a good time, you yeah. know, when, when rates had, had kind of perked up a little bit and say, Ooh, I'm gonna jump on this, <laughs> but now those things are coming due and he's going to get his principal and all the interest back. So he's probably sh- trying to figure out what to do with that now. Exactly. Um, so what I would say is, uh, and although we don't 
really talk about in individual stocks, you know, my, my clients and I, just because a lot of them just, you know, don't want to take that kind of risk, mm. but we, there are, and I think the, the recent run up in the stock market is kind of reflected. It's kind of been artificial because of this, you know, uh, people will go to their bank and see what the CD rates are. And they're saying like, you know, one and a half, 2% if they're lucky, but then they're probably going to have their money locked up for five or 10 years. Yeah. And then they look at a company like, you know, we'll use Exxon Mobil as an example, looking at their dividend and that dividend is paying, you know, four or 5% per year. So, uh, so that could be one option would be to, you know, invest that money. And I would, I would say, you know, try and diversify it a little bit, you know, spread it across a couple of companies, couple industries, um, cause the, the market moves in cycles. And, you know, uh, I saw, uh, a report this morning on Bloomberg, they were talking about how, uh, you know, blue chip, you know, big energy companies have, have seen a run up, but like smaller energy companies, the smaller players have seen a dip. Mm. So, uh, so you never know, but, uh, they're depending on what state the economy is in could, could often dictate which industry you want to be in. But otherwise, uh, you know, if individual stocks is too big of a leap right now, then you might want to consider looking at you know, uh, a mutual fund that tracks an index, you know, like an S and P 500 index fund is going to pay a yield may not be four or 5%. Um, but we know it's heavily diversified and, uh, and they do make dividend pay payments regularly, uh, on top of the, you know, the, the capital gains at the end of the year. So there's different ways that they pay out, um, to provide you with some income. Um, you can try and, or you can try like a more, like an actively managed mutual fund where they, they only buy companies that, that pay big dividends. So that yield might be higher, probably closer to what you're looking for. Oh. Or, uh, or you could go like the route of an ETF an exchange traded fund. Um, they kind of operate the same way. So that will, uh, that'd be a place where you can look for, for yield as well. So, and anytime you run a quote on any, you know, whether it's stocks or mutual funds or, or, or ETFs, you'll usually see the, you know, like a trailing 12 month yield on it. So you can kind of get an idea as to what your, you know, what kind of income return you can get. So it sounds like Mike is pretty conservative. So uh, yeah, yeah, they those would probably be the the best choices there. Definitely not cryptocurrency. <laughs> Steer clear. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm, I don't think Big Mike is jumping on that train. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad he didn't ask us about that because okay. I'd be like, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's good to have a little palate cleanser and get too far off into that. Yeah, that's good. All right. Right so, on. Well, Tom, you think, uh, is that a question that you've been asking recently? And, and what, what have you, yeah, uh, so what have you thought about beyond just the speculative cryptocurrency stuff that we've talked about? Right. Um, I look at different types of investments too, across the risk portfolio, uh, high, medium and low. And, um, I exchange, exchange traded funds are really kind of cool. I think, yeah. um, also, um, I have some exposure with the peer to peer lending, like lending club. Oh. Um, where you have a three-year horizon, and they have a lot of data with advertised rates, you know, five plus or minus two, five, seven percent kind of thing returns. Oh. Um, so that's that, an interesting way of kind of a mid-risk, right? Yeah. Um, where you're using an aggregator uh, to then put out smaller amounts across a lot of individuals. Um, but so this is re a relatively new phenomenon as well, where people like yourself, investors, pool their money together and, yep. and basically lend it out. And then whatever, uh, 
whatever the interest rate is that you're charging the borrower, that's basically your return. Your return, right. right. So you have a little mini portfolio. Um, right. It's almost like a little mini mutual fund, but instead of funds, you have people who need the money for whatever reason, debt consolidation, new projects, putting their kids through school, college, whatever. Um, and it's originated by the lending club and that becomes your investment. So you are making your capital available so it can be redeployed for others to use or in a um, return on that investment. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, that sounds great. I don't think Mike is going to like that. That's more of a yeah. mid-tier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Less traditional. I think yeah, he's, he's, he's looking to go a more traditional route there. And this is where the personalization comes in with Little Woods. It's like, you know, Jeff has to take into consideration who we're exactly being. So important. I know, yeah, right? I'm learning, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I bet. Yeah, well, that's... Uh, and that goes back to what you were saying about collecting the information. You know, people, they, yeah. we often talk about how the relationship, you know, between a client and myself could often be perceived as transactional and not really holistic, which is the approach that I take, you know, so that yeah. um, I have to get the big picture laid out on the table, kind of like a map. So I can know uh, it's kind of like a chain reaction. Once I make, once I pull this lever, what's going to happen to the other four or five, you know? And, and I don't think people really understand that yet, you know, but, but that's part of my job is to convince them that they, they have to be that, you know, we have to achieve that level of disclosure. Cause then I can, my decision-making skills are going to be much better and much more informed, you yeah. know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it kind of goes without saying, but people, it still just doesn't register, you know, in a way that they see, oh, okay, I, I see how that's, how right. that plays out, right. you know? It's a process. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's, that's, that's some good feedback for Big Mike. <laughs> Hopefully uh, the Thibodeau family will be happy with that one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the kids off the dole. Right. <laughs> Mercy. Well, hopefully uh, interest rates will come back up and this will become less of a problem. But yeah, yeah. but yeah, it's, this has been, been going on for a while. I mean, mm -hmm. we're talking about five or 10 years now. That people been have been. A big lull. Yeah. Mm -hmm. have been trying to figure this out. So. Yeah. Awesome. So we hope that helps. Yeah, good deal. I love having these uh, case studies. So everybody, feel free to send in your questions. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah give us more. Yeah, it's great. It's good practice. And it helps to personalize this in a way that, that you know, people don't, don't often expect, you know. I think it also just helps other people understand, you know, all the different elements that go into something like this. Right. You know, because like we talk about in every episode, people really don't understand like strategic finance thinking. You know, and so when we talk through it with real details and real people, it helps, you know, other people go, oh, well, you know, I've got something similar, you know, whatever. And kind of see themselves in those shoes. Yeah. Makes so. it much more accessible. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's that guy. Mike is in. Sounds like he's in hog heaven right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're in the money. Yeah. Because he sounds like, you know, the probably had some kids that were still in college or, you know, just didn't yeah. move out yet or finally got this one married and so forth or um and another, you know, social security is becoming a hot button issue now. And uh, as we cl get closer, of course, there's those boomers again. Um, <laughs> as we get closer to, uh, you know, the year 2030 or whenever it is when the, the fund is scheduled to be depleted. Yep. Um, I was talking with a guy, a money manager, in fact, yesterday, um, and he's big time libertarian, you know, very political. And he's one of the things he's trying to lobby to his clients is to get them to lobby Congress to allow younger people to opt out of social security. Yeah. And, uh, wow. cause they, yeah, he, 
there are some who, who think that this isn't a, an issue that can be you know, solved any other way, that the only way to do it is privatize it. But I don't know if I'm, I'm there yet, but, right. but I, can, I can certainly see why he would suggest that. But, but for now, you know, Mike and his wife are, are okay. <laughs> Doing good. And probably, probably won't have anything to worry about for a few years until, as far as Social Security goes. Yeah, so. yeah. good times. Good times for the Tipito family. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir. Well, Tom, I want to thank you for coming by again. Um, this has been this has been really interesting and exciting. And, and yeah, uh, my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. It was really cool hanging out with both of you. Yeah. Uh, love the dialogue and interaction Thanks. and just exploring all kinds of things related to this. And we're going to keep an eye on this for sure. So, uh, you know, probably down the road, we'll have another conversation about this to see where this is going to fit. Great. You know? Sounds fun. And for everybody out there, uh, Mike's organization is holacracy.org. Tom. Tom. Yep. Damn it. I was stuck on Mike. <laughs> I know. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, that's so bad. <laughs> Here I was trying to, you know, get the information out there. I got the main information wrong. Uh, but it's H-O-L-A-C-R-A-C-Y. That's correct. Dot org. Dot org. Yes. And ENCODE.org as well. ENCODE.org. E-N-C-O-D-E. And we just launched PowerShift Capital as well. Oh, yep. a lot. Man. Is that dot, that's dot com? Dot capital, actually. Dot capital. PowerShift, oh. PowerShift, all one word, dot okay. capital. Great. Great. Okay. That's it. Thanks, guys. Right. Thank you very and much. You're welcome. And uh, if any of you have want to get more information on Little Woods and what we can do for you, or if you want to write in, uh, you can go to www.littlewoodsadvisors.com and uh, you know, send us an email or give us a call. We'll be glad to help. All right. See you next time.